Before uh, we pray, I just wanna acknowledge that today is 21 years from one of the worst days in our history as a country as we honor and celebrate not only those that lost their lives, but those that worked and served, uh, particularly all the groups that make up what we call first responders, all the men and women that serve so faithfully in all of our communities, but particularly on that day, 21 years ago, uh, literally risking their lives to save people. And there's no telling how many countless people were saved as a result of that. But it always is striking to me to meet people and have conversations with people that either had family members or were directly affected by the events of that day, um, now even 21 years later, because uh, it wasn't just something that happened to you know 3,000 or so people that died, but so many more, countless uh, amounts of people. And even in our own communities, when things like that happened, like this did, uh, this, that, like that did this week in Cobb County as well. And so we're just gonna take a moment and pray for all the families affected by that and then thank God for all of our first responders that work so hard to keep us safe. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the privilege we have in this country to worship you freely and for the men and women that work so hard and either in our government or within our systems um, to protect those and to protect us in those. And so God, we thank you for that. But on this day, we recognize God that 21 years ago um, was a horrible day. And so many people lost loved ones and family members, not only people that were in the buildings or on the plane, but God, just people that went to help rescue them. And so God, we just pray for them on this day, that it would be a day to remember and honor them and their memory. But then God, we thank you also for all the first responders that make up um, just this group of amazing people in our communities that work so hard to prevent things like that, to care for us when things like that happen. And uh, there's been rightly a lot of focus on them over the last several years, God, as they have worked so hard to help us be healthy and safe and so, God, we thank you for them. Pray for all the family members as well that make sacrifices um, for the men and women to go out and protect and to serve. And so, God, we pray um, just whatever range of emotions are attached to this day or what happened this last week in Cobb County, God, just the loss of um, two law enforcement officers. And so, God, we just pray for all the family members affected by that, even people within our church affected by that. Um, and so God, pray that you would comfort them and help them as we've been talking about over the last several weeks. And then as we get into your word today, God, we pray that you would help us. Help us to know the truth that you have for us in these words in John 15, God, I really do um, think are so helpful. You give us so much direction uh, in these words. And so God, I pray that you would um, use these words in our life, plant them like seeds in us that they may bear fruit in our lives. And God has always helped me to communicate it in a way that honors you and is helpful to us. And as we open it now, God, would you fill us with your spirit so that we can see and hear and know the truth that is in it. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you got a Bible, we're continuing in John chapter 15 in 
I referenced this last week, but this section of scripture is one that we focus on yearly around here in our season at the beginning of the year called Abide, where we take 21 days to pray and to fast, where we set aside time intentionally at the beginning of the year to refocus our heart, to do the one thing that's the most important thing, and that is to abide in Jesus. Because I said last week, if you were here, and if you weren't, I'll recap quickly for you. That's the one thing that enables us to do everything. And that's all God is commanding us to do, that if we'll abide in him, then he will bear the fruit that we want to see. And so this season that we have every year at the beginning of, uh, it'll be at the beginning of 2023, that's 21 days of prayer and fasting. We ask people to fast primarily from some sort of food or all food, and then also like a social media where you're fasting for your body and your soul so that you can be filled by the word of God. And especially those that you are new, you're like, don't think, man, I knew I should have waited until after the first year to come uh, so I didn't have to participate during that. Well, it might do you well to fast, as you could tell in my own life. You know, I, I look forward to it every year, not just because it's a time to recalibrate, recalibrate my body, but also my soul. Because it is so good to set aside some, some set time where you are really just trying to focus on one thing only, and that's abiding in Jesus. And, and the reason why we, we want to do that is because all of us want to bear fruit. All of us want to see results, see life change in our lives, see a transformation happen. But as I told you last week, we can't bear the fruit. We can't do that. But God's not asking us to. That's the good news. He's asking us only to do one thing, and that's abide in him. And so we're going to pick right up where we left off last week in John chapter 15. We're going to be in verse 9. And what I love about this message in particular is, and I kind of gave you a cliffhanger last week, and I don't know if you thought it was much of a cliffhanger, but thanks for coming back because you'll hear the second part of it, um, where I want to give you some handles around, okay, I want to abide. How do I do that? How, how do I actually accomplish that one thing that you said would change everything, which is abiding in Jesus. Well, I'm glad you asked the question. And if you didn't ask it, you should ask it, all right? Because I wanna give you the answer, because Jesus gives us the answer. And it's insanely practical, which is why I love this text. So let's go John chapter 15, verse nine and 10. We'll chat about it. Jesus says, as the Father loved me, or as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That's the commandment. And that one's written in the commandment, just like it was last week, even though Jesus adds the word love to it, still the same idea. Abide in my love. Verse 10, here's the practical part. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in in his love. Again, this is one of the millions and millions of reasons I love Jesus. Jesus not only gives us the command of what to do, abide in his love, but he gives us the how of how to do the what. So if you want to abide in Jesus, then there's one thing that we need to do. And the reason why you know it is it's started off in a sentence by a really small 
two-letter word, if. If. And if is a big word. Big word. In fact, it might be the biggest two-letter word out there. And I don't mean that, I mean, I'm being serious. Like, it, it might be the most important word in that scripture. If. Now, I don't know how much you know about if, but let me tell you about if. If is what's called here a conditional clause. What that means is it's a condition that must be met. Now, I don't know how much you get into philosophy, but I love philosophy. Philosophy is just the study of knowledge and ideas. And, and I had to study it even in my undergrad, which was, you know, a, a, not a Christian degree, but I, I had a psychology minor and communications major. So psych, any psychology class I could take, I would take. And I still love it today because I don't want to just know what something is. I want to know the why behind it. And so in philosophy, there is a phrase describing what this word if is getting at. And it's what's called a necessary condition. A necessary condition. In philosophy, we talk about necessary condition and sufficient condition. A sufficient condition is something that if it's present, it's going to happen. A necessary condition is a little bit different in that it must be present in order for something to happen, but it doesn't necessarily mean just because it's present, it's going to happen. So it's the idea of oxygen to a fire. If there is no oxygen, there is no fire. So oxygen is a necessary condition, but it's not a sufficient condition in that just because there's oxygen, it automatically means there's going to be a fire because it's conditional. There's other conditions that have to be met when it comes to a fire, but oxygen is simply one of them. So when it comes to our own life, what Jesus is saying is this if statement is a necessary condition that must be met, that must be present in order for this thing to happen. And this thing to happen is abiding. So let me break this down for you. I told you last week, if you want to bear fruit, you have to abide. Abiding is a necessary condition to getting fruit. Now Jesus takes it a step down. He says, okay, if you want to abide, then you must obey. If you want to abide, then you must obey. Obedience is the necessary condition that must be met in order for abiding to occur. So let me give you this point, and I'm going to break it down for you. If you're taking notes, here it is. Obeying is abiding. Obeying is abiding. Where we walk in a relational rhythm with God. Obeying is abiding. I love that phrase. Yes, because it has a little bit of alliteration to it, but I also love it because I came up with it. Just being honest with you. But I really didn't come up with it. Jesus did. Just my way of saying what Jesus said. And here's what I want to explain to you. A few weeks ago, I talked about how Christianity is a religion. I don't like the phrase where people say, oh, Christianity's not a religion, it's just a relationship. No, it's both. The difference is not that Christianity is not a religion, 
And by religion, what we mean is there's commandments. The difference between Christianity and any other religion is not that other religions have commandments, we don't. The difference is we have grace that empowers the obedience to those commandments. Because here's what we all know. If you've ever been in a relationship with someone, can you do whatever you want in the relationship and have a healthy relationship with that person? Yes or no? No. Unless you were a baby just crying out, then you should have said no. Because anybody that has any kind of sense, right? And, and, and you realize that common sense ain't so common anymore? My goodness. And part of the reason I like preaching is not just to give you spiritual sense, but common sense. Because God is the God of common sense and he's the God of general revelation and special revelation. Special revelation would be his Bible. General revelation is just how the world works. Nature, reason. He's the God of both of those. And so when it comes to relationships, what we need to understand is every relationship is bound by doing naturally what the other person wants in the relationship. And God is no different. This is why, and I say this often, I can't stand it when people, one of my biggest pet peeves, just like, you know, please don't say, God be with us in your prayers. I hope you've been nailing that one, all right? Another one that I can't stand when people say is when they say, I'm a New Testament Christian. Please don't say that. Because the idea of what you're saying is only the new applies to me, not the old anymore. Now, there are definitely commandments in the Old Testament that don't apply anymore. There's three different types of laws in the Old Testament. We, I can talk about that later. Maybe we'll do that on a podcast. But God's moral law is still there. He's the same God. And the reason why I can't stand that statement is people use that statement as a way to do something less than what God commanded in the Old Testament. You know, I'm not a, I'm, I'm a spirit-led Christian. Well, that's great. The spirit should be leading you to nail it twice as much as before. Not less, do you think God would give you your spirit and be like, okay, cool, now you don't have to do what I ask? Really? This is why, honestly, when people say I'm a New Testament Christian now or I'm a spirit-led Christian, I say, awesome, you obey God twice as much then, don't you? Because that's what Jesus says. Not the twice as much part, but he says, if you obey my commandments, you will abide in me or abide in my love. Now, let me break this down because I put a clarifier on the statement I said obeying is abiding. And then I said where we walk in relational rhythm with God. Now, this is extremely helpful to me, which is why I'm gonna explain it to you. But you may think I'm crazy, but I hope you don't think I'm being sacrilegious because I wanna use the concept of dancing to describe our relationship with God. Now, all of us Baptists in the room, I know hair just went up on the back of your head. You're like, no, we, we don't dance, bro. We don't do that. No, no, no. But not only do I think you miss out on a lot of fun, I think you miss out on a great metaphorical example of what God is talking about. Let me give you a couple handles. Galatians 5. I'll talk about the fruit. I talk about Galatians 5 all the time. 
But verse 17, I think it is of Galatians 5, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Even though the headings and subchapters of our Bibles are not inspired, those were added later, sometimes they're helpful, sometimes they're not. But in my Bible, right before verse 17, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. So I want you to think about this. The idea of keeping in step with the Spirit is like dancing. If you ever watch two people dance together and they're in step with each other, you're like, yeah, I watch Dance with the Stars the whole time. It's beautiful. The greatest winner was Emmett Smith, great Dallas Cowboys uh, running back. I almost said quarterback. That was Troy Aikman. We got a lot of them. America's team, baby. Come on. They're on tonight at 820. But the idea of people being in step with each other, right, is like I take a step, she takes a step back. I take a step, step back. And when you see two people that are in dance with each other, whether it's cha-cha or salsa or whatever it is they're doing, you see that happening? You're like, man, that's, those people, and, and this reference is gonna make me think of a boy band and I hate it, but I can't think of anything else. They are in sync with each other. <clears throat> now that was a horrible band and I don't care what you say. Thank you, amen, right? Yeah. But when someone is in step with each other, right? I mean, you got this groove going. That's what I mean by this relational rhythm. I think of the movie Hitch with Will Smith and Kevin James. I don't know if you see that movie. But Will Smith is trying to teach Kevin James. And Kevin James is like, oh, I'm right here, baby. He's like, I'm doing the Q-tip. And he's making all these crazy moves. And ironically, Will Smith slaps him. Apparently, it's been happening for a long time. And... Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, it just comes sometimes. <laughs> but Will Smith's like, no, none of that. Never do that again. He's like, you're right here. You're just right here. Just right here. Left, right, elbows, just left, right, right. Because we all know when, you, when you're on the dance floor with somebody and you're in step with them, man, that's beautiful. But sadly, some of us, You've been on the dance floor with somebody and you're in step and they're out of there like, nah, two, five, and they're out of step and you're like, I'll see you later, right? Because <laughs> they're out of step with you. Let me give you another example. In middle school, I was in the band for one year. And it's not that I didn't like the band. In fact, I loved it. But my sixth grade year, we didn't have football we had it seventh grade and eighth grade at our school. And so my friend said, hey, sixth grade year, join the band. And this is how they got me. At the end of the year, we take a trip to Six Flags. I'm in. <laughs> so I was in, baby. I joined. And I played the trombone. Right? I used to practice. This is funny. I used to practice on the commode at my house. I don't know why. But in a weird and sick, twisted family that I had, I would literally stay in there for hours and practice and they would bust in and take photos of me. <laughs> I got photos of me on the pot with a trombone. It's a weird family. But when I played the trombone, they had this thing called a metronome. And if you know anything about that, a metronome just sits there and beats and you can set it, 
right? And it's just at this constant beat. Our band members have it in their ears, right? We call it a click track now. And you can set that rhythm. And I learned, when I started out, I was like fourth or fifth chair. I worked my way up to first chair, baby. If you don't know anything about that, that means you're first. <laughs> and, and, and the key was, whatever the song we were playing, they would set the metronome and you had to learn how to play in rhythm to that. And here's what Jesus is saying. If you're gonna abide in me, you gotta learn how to get to my rhythm. You gotta learn how to walk how I walk. I'm over here trying to teach y'all the salsa and you're doing some weird funky thing that ain't nobody ever seen before. And this is what I'm saying, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like say be sacrilegious at all, but that's what obedience is. Obedience is I'm walking in step with God. God says, do your marriage like this, I'm doing it like this. God says, do your money like this, I'm doing it like this. God says, do the mission of your life like this, I'm doing it like this. God and I are just dancing. I'm in rhythm. But then there's a lot of Christians that are like, oh, I'm abiding in God, I'm in rhythm. And you're over there going nine to five and God's like, I don't dance like that. So here's what I'm trying to say to you. In any relationship, you don't get to determine how you, the other person wants you to connect to them. They get to determine that. And that's how it is with God. But here's why we don't like it. And this is why I'm trying to help reframe it for you. We don't like obeying. Teenagers especially don't like obeying. Kids don't like obeying. Why? Because when someone gives us a command, it automatically reminds us of where we are in the pecking order. We're not the authority. And this is why when you tell your kids to clean their room, or my goodness, brush their teeth, I don't get that one. Like, bro, do you want your teeth to fall out? Then a necessary condition is brushing them suckers. But when you tell your kids to obey, what do they do? <sighs> I don't want to do that. <sighs> what would happen if your kid jumped off the couch and said, yes, father, I'm ready to obey. Amen. Right? Somebody would have to call the ER and bring you an ambulance and they wheel you in. They're like, is it COVID? No, his kid joyfully obeyed and he's having heart palpitations. Bro fainted. Right? But why is it that we fight so hard against it? It's because we think we know better. But here's why we think that. Look at the next verse. Jesus said, these things, what things? These things of obeying me, 
I have spoken to you. Now watch this. That my, what? J-O-Y down in my heart, deep, deep down in my, oh, that was horrible. <laughs> Maybe you didn't know it. All right, I need you to say heart. J-O-Y down in my heart, deep, deep down in my Thank you, make me feel better now. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You wanna know why you and I fight so hard against the commandments of God? It's because we don't believe that. We don't believe that. Let me give you the next point because I'm trying to show you this. Jesus is out for our joy. Jesus is out for our joy. I'm not making this up. This isn't one of those weirdo pastor things that you see like on the worst of Christian television. They're like, if you sow in, you'll become a millionaire. This ain't prosperity gospel. And that's my problem with it is they define prosperity somehow as something out there, not something in here. But I can stand up here and say, if you obey God, your joy will prosper. Because that's what he said. That my joy may be in you. Now, don't miss this. Because I don't think we think about this. Jesus obviously went to Sunday school because he used himself as the example. Back up in verse 10, he said, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. See, this is why I don't, again, I don't like it when people talk about how somehow sending Jesus to the cross was divine child abuse, as if somehow God had to twist Jesus's arm to do it. No, Jesus did it willingly. Why? The New Testament tells us, you're not gonna believe this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? Twofold. Two. I don't know, is that three? Two. One. It's what his father commanded. And he knew that there was gonna be more joy in his father's commands than in his own. And two, the joy was getting us back to his father. See, joy, watch this, is always relational. In fact, I think we wrongly a lot of times pit happiness against joy to where the best definition I've, I've heard of joy is relational happiness. And here's what that means. You have joy when you walk into a room and someone is happy to see you. When they are happy to see you, when their facial expressions change, they smile, that's joy. That feeling that you get, that's joy. It's always relational, which is amazing because now we know just from the study of brain science that our brains 
were built to run on joy. They were built for it. We're not meant to run on fear. You know, that's the fight or flight response. We're not meant to run on adrenaline. This is why if you run on adrenaline all the time, you'll blow out your glands. You're meant to run on joy, not on fear. But isn't it amazing how everybody today uses fear to manipulate? But God never does. It's a joy-based thing because joy is so much more powerful than fear. But here's what's crazy. We know this. When a child is born, only part of their brain is developed. And the part that's developed is the part in the back, which is now what they call the attachment center. The right side of your brain is the attachment center. The attachment center is there, but the second part of your brain moving back to front is undeveloped. And here's the key. It will develop to the degree that the child experiences joyful attachments. Which is why when a baby is in the room, our countenance normally changes, right? We smile, we get demonstrative, we start speaking in tongues. <laughs> right? Did you know that that is crucial to the child's development? Because if you walked into the room and you saw them, you're like, hey, here's your bottle. I'll be back in two hours. You would literally traumatize their brain. And the problem for a lot of us is we haven't had joyful attachments, loving attachments. And so our brains are stuck in enemy mode. And here's what's crazy. Your brain does this subconsciously every time somebody walks into the room. I'm, I'm going to explain to you what happens to you so now you'll know. When someone walks into the room, your brain is automatically assess, uh, assessing that person. Do we like them or do we don't? Are they safe or are they not? And your attachment to that person will determine your response. It doesn't become conscious, but a little bit you know, your brain is super fast. It's operating in ways that we can't even understand completely. God just made it that way. But he made it to run on this joyful relational attachment. And what's amazing is Jesus said that 2,000 years ago. It's almost like he knows about the brain. We're just now catching up to him. And this is why I'm trying to say this and show this to you. Jesus says, if you obey me, you'll have more joy. So that my joy, my relational happiness in the Father will be in you. And when my joy is in you, guess what? Your joy will be full. But we don't believe that. And I'm not trying to rag on you because I don't believe it. When's the last time you heard a pastor say he doesn't believe something that he just said? But what I mean by that is this. I believe it philosophically, but I don't believe it practically. As a pastor once said, as Christians, a lot of times we are practical atheists. We're functional atheists. We say we believe it, but we don't. So here's what I'm trying to show you. The next time that the devil comes in and lies to you and says, 
If you do it my way, you'll have more joy. You can speak back to him and said, actually, Jesus said, if I do it his way, I'll have more joy. Because Jesus is out for my joy. You're out for my destruction. See what I'm saying? But how does that change your motivation to obey? It changes everything. Everything. Because again, we don't obey because we don't believe that God's way is better. This is what Satan said to Adam and Eve. God's way is not better. Go get the one tree he said you couldn't have. Then you'll be like him. They believed the lie. Why? Because they practically didn't practice because they didn't understand the joy that they could have in Jesus. And so if we can get our brains around this idea that walking in step with God is better, then not only will it save us from sin, but it will increase our joy. Have you ever noticed this, that the world and its marketing schemes, in fact, I was listening to a uh, philosopher, Christian philosopher the other day, and people talk about how um, some industry is the oldest industry in the world, and he said, actually, the oldest industry in the world is marketing because that's what the devil was doing. He was marketing. But have you ever realized why the world is so good at marketing? It's because they're trying to sell you a lie. And have you ever realized how the world acts like things were their ideas? I mean, let's just, and I know this is, church, but this is a good reason to have your kids and rev kids, but let's just take sex, for example. I used to want to do a t-shirt all the time, and maybe we still will, that said sex was God's idea. Do you realize that? It was his idea. It wasn't the devil's idea. But, but we think, just like every teenager thinks about their parents, that God's way is going to lead to less joy. But the world's like, our savior came in the 60s and his name was Hugh Heffer, Hefner. He was a heifer too, but. <laughs> it's like the world is like, we've been liberated. And what's amazing to me is all these articles, you can go find them that are being written now by people that are not Christians that are saying, I think we were lied to. You think? It's like, what did the world do before the 1960s? How did we propagate ourselves? And every study after study after study comes out and says that two people who stayed married for a long period of time have the best sex, I don't even like the phrase, but lives. Because you do it God's way. So I'm trying to show you something. God is not out to kill your joy. He's out to maximize it. Because he knows we're not truth seekers at the end of the day, we're joy seekers. We want joy, and we want joy so much that we'll do illicit drugs to try to get it. You know, in the developed world, the 10 top causes of death, you can go look it up yourself, are all self-induced. Means we make it happen to ourselves. It's not starvation 
or things outside of our control. The top 10 things of death in developed countries is all things brought about by our own choices. Why? Because we think that the world will give us joy and it won't. And what I'm trying to show you is Jesus is after your joy. And if you obey him, you abide in him and he'll grow fruit in you. And you want to know what the second fruit of the spirit is? The first one is love. The second one is, anybody know? Joy. He ain't lying to you. That's the fruit. The fruit that he will grow in you is the fruit that you so desperately want. So again, this is what we do in pastoral care all the time. If you come meet with one of our pastors, you're probably going to hear some iteration of this. We're not counselors, but we try to help you. Two things. We say, okay, what is it that you want? I want a good marriage. Okay, great. You should want that. You're psycho if you don't. Then we say, what are the things you need to do to get what you want? And here's the key. The things that you need to do almost always aren't what you want to do. How many times, I said this on Thursday night, and I heard an audible groan from a dude in the crowd. How many times, guys, have you, you just got set down in your chair, kicked your feet up, got the blanket with the fan on, because that's a pro move, right? Football game's on, you got your snacks, and you're like, oh. And then your wife from upstairs says, honey, can you come here? That's when I heard the audible groan. And in that moment, right? No, ladies, don't go home and use this. Like, Pastor Jason said, no. <laughs> That's satanic, all right? But in that moment, what's going to make you jump off that chair and say, yes, honey, how can I serve you? It's the joy that you can have in her if you do. See, that has to be our motivation. When the devil lies to you, you got to speak truth back to him. You got <laughs> you to learn how to talk back. But to the devil, to your own mind, you say, no, there's more joy to be had in Jesus because he's out for my joy and you're out for my destruction. See, this is what motivates us. Let me give you the last couple verses. Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now watch 14. You are my friends. What's that word there? If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. One Christian author said, we've been invited into this divine dance. I love it. Between the father, the son, and the spirit. They've been grooving for all eternity. Left, right. I mean, they are in step with one another. And I told you a few weeks ago, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Why? Because when the Father moves, he moves. They're in step with one another. 
And what's amazing is God expanded his circle to include us into it. Now we're in the circle. I remember in high school, we'd get into these dance circles. We'd invite people into it. But then if somebody came into the dance circle and we're all like this, and they're like, nah, too far, right? And you're like, keep on walking out the circle, bro. You ain't in the circle. That's weirdos, right? It's like Jesus is sitting there dancing with the Father. We show up out of step, and he's like, you ain't my friend. <laughs> that dude ain't with me. But yet, you got all these Christians walking around like, I'm with Jesus, but you out of step with Jesus. And Jesus is like, I don't know him. He ain't my friend. Because I told him to forgive. But he hadn't forgiven. I told him to love. But he ain't loving. It's amazing to me when I have conversations with Christians, they're like, I just don't know if I can forgive them. And the right biblical response back is, well, then I don't know if you're forgiven. Because you don't have a choice to not forgive them because he forgave you. And what you did against him was way worse than what they did against you. You see what I'm saying? That's out of step, y'all. If we are friends with Jesus, then we're going to be in step with Jesus. And there's two things that he says. Our joy and love them. He goes further. Look at this. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. I don't have time to get into all that, but I've talked about it before. All you need to know is God makes choices. So please don't have a theology that's built upon the fact that he doesn't have the right to choose because he has the right to choose. And appointed you, which means gave you a responsibility that you should go and bear fruit. And check this, and that your fruit should abide. He wants you to abide in him so that your fruit will abide. He's so out for your joy, he wants you to have joy forever. He wants it to remain with you so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Let me give you the last point. We're done. The point of us abiding in Jesus is twofold. To increase our joy in Jesus and our love for others. See, this is what amazes me. How Christians can sing about the Father's love for them in Jesus, but then have none of that love in them for others. One of the things that tripped me out when I first became a Christian, and I gotta be honest with you, so disillusioned me that I almost quit the ministry. Because I'll never forget, I was a few years in and I started struggling in my faith. And not only did I find all these Christians that weren't joyful, but they were judgmental. And I thought, well, hold up. How are you so mean to me over this thing when you're doing that thing and God's so nice to you? And, and, and I talked about the dangers of social media last week and thank God you're back. You didn't leave because you got mad at me. But you want to know why I railed so hard against that? Because I'm sick and tired of Satan stealing our teenagers' joy. And now we live in this world where 
one thing you said 30 years ago or your worst day gets plastered everybody and everywhere and everybody jumps on you. And all of a sudden, all these Christians that are characterized as sheep in the Bible got sharp teeth because they're really wolves in sheep's clothing. Come out and just start gnarling and tearing apart all these Christians as if that's the Christian response. Where's the person that says, I don't agree with what they did, but I still love them as a person. And I'm going to fight for their joy. See, this is what Jesus said. There's two primary fruits that identify his followers. Joy in him and love for others. But yet we are producing all these followers of Jesus out of our churches. They got no joy in Jesus and all they got is hatred for others. And the most amazing thing about Jesus is if I walk in step with him, I get joy and they get love. Who doesn't want that? And we'll get those two things if we'll just obey him, if we'll keep in step with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Because there's no religion like this. No religion that I know of has at its core of obedience, joy. In fact, every other religion has joyless duty at the core of it. They do it because they have to. Not because they get to. But God, the most amazing thing about walking with Jesus is now we get to obey you because he gave his life for us. We get to dance with you. We get to walk in step with you. We get invited into the inner circle of the fellowship between you, the son and the spirit. We're a part of this divine dance that has been going on from eternity past and will go on into eternity future. God, we've been invited in. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to see that if we'll obey you, we get joy and then others get love. But, God, we know that there are people here today that have never trusted in you. They've never connected to Jesus. They've never, they can't abide in someone they don't know. So, God, I pray right now you'd save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close, or if you're listening and watching online at a later time, I want you to understand something. God did what he did, not only to get you back to himself, but so that you could have the maximum joy that you were made for. So God's inviting you into this. And if you'll just simply respond in faith, you'll be saved and be a part of the family. And now that you can know that God is happy to see you because you're in Jesus. So if that's you and you wanna pray and trust Christ, right there where you are, if you're in one of our locations, you don't have to say this out loud, but you can pray with me. It goes like this, say, Father, 
thank you for loving me, that you sent your son Jesus in my place for my sin. I'm trusting in Jesus alone to save me, forgive me. And God, would you grow love and joy in me? I'm so tired of not having what I was made for, which was you. Thank you for loving me. Again, if you're in one of our physical locations and you just pray that with me, nobody looking around or talking, but if you did, we just lift up your hand and let us know that you just trusted Jesus. Because we got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. In a moment, whether you're in person or online, you have the opportunity to fill out our digital connection card, let us know who you are. But in those of us who've trusted Jesus, listen, this is a struggle. It's a struggle for myself. But I'm praying that all of us would be reminded that God has never obeyed us to do something that wouldn't lead to more joy in him. So fight with joy. Fight for joy. Obey him. And your joy will be full. And then you'll have the capacity to invite others into that joy through loving them. One of the reasons why so many people don't want to be a Christian is they look at us and like, why would I want that? Because we don't have joy and there's no love. But I pray that as a result of the Spirit's work through the preaching of his word today, that he would increase your joy and increase your love so that it could be multiplied out. This fruit could be spread out into others. Father, would you bless this? Now through the preaching of your word and through the scattering of your saints as we leave, God, I pray that this fruit would grow as we abide in you by obeying you. In Jesus' name, amen.